Good morning, everybody. It is awesome to be with you guys uh, this morning, this uh, Sunday before uh, Christmas. If you're new, if this is your uh, first Sunday uh, with us, thank you so much for uh, being here with us. Uh, we would love to get to know you a little bit better. And uh, so uh, one way to do that is in uh, the row somewhere around you, in the seat back in front of you, there should be a connection card. Uh, if you wouldn't mind just filling one of those out, uh, sharing your information, and then uh, you can just hang on to that. And actually, after the service, on your way out into the, sa- uh, into the lobby, uh, we have these offering boxes uh, hanging over here on the walls. You can just put those in there. Uh, most importantly, uh, if uh, there's anything we can be praying for you about, there is a spot on the back of those cards to share your prayer request, and we would value uh, being able to pray for you at this time. Uh, I realize it's kind of weird for me to ask you to like, introduce yourselves and me not introduce myself, so I'm Matt. I'm one of the pastors here. And uh, just uh, wanted to share a quick announcement with you that uh, this Tuesday, our uh, Christmas Eve services are at 2.30 and 4 p.m., and so we want to invite you to come, uh, invite your friends, your family, uh, anybody that you know doesn't have uh, plans on Christmas Eve, and uh, come with us and uh, celebrate uh, the arrival of the Messiah, of Jesus. And uh, we do have child care available. It is for uh, ages uh, five and younger, so basically if they're preschool or younger, uh, you can drop them off and get a break. And so uh, just, uh, we'll take them for you. But uh, only for the time you're in here. Once you leave here, you got to take them with you. So... Uh, yeah, uh, invite you to come and to be a part of that. Uh, finally, before we get to uh, the message, I, I just want to say I had a few, I had quite a number of people come up to me this week or this morning actually and tell me. I guess Ed was cracking a joke last week about how like I took my three kids on vacation or something like that, and he wouldn't want to be where I was. Um, and so I had a lot of people ask me how it went, and it went really well, except for the part where. Um, me, Hannah, and our oldest daughter, Eden, got food poisoning uh, one night, uh, so that was kind of a bummer, but um, don't feel too bad for us, because uh, this weekend, Ed is driving his uh, family down to Bakersfield, and uh, given the choice, I would choose food poisoning. Um, it, it's, uh, it's quicker, and um, when we got done with it, I was still in Disney World, and he'll be in Bakersfield, so... Uh, yeah, it, it wasn't that bad. We had a good vacation except for that. So uh, if you've got a Bible, uh, if you want to turn with me uh, to John, or not to John, uh, to Colossians chapter 1, uh, we're going to be looking at verses uh, 15 through 20. And as you're turning there, um, let me just say, I, th- this time of year is a really cool time of year in my house, uh, mainly because of the ages of my kids. And that is uh, with, uh, with having a four-year-old and a two-year-old um, and then a six-month-old, but she doesn't count because she doesn't even know what in the world's going on. Uh, the holidays are, are, are really special because everything to them, even though they've done it before, we did it the year before, it's all brand new to them. And everything, like from Christmas lights to the tree to presents, all, all this type of stuff, right? Everything is, they don't know how the world works. And so I can't tell you the number of times that this Christmas season, the words, that's magic, have been uttered in our house. Like, the reason for everything, Justin said the reason for the season is Jesus, right? No, in our house it's magic. Like, the reason for everything in our house right now is magic. And, and it's this cool thing because you get this awe and wonder that you kind of miss out on when you don't have little kids like that. Uh, but I, I've been watching them and the reactions uh, to uh, just Christmas and, and, and everything this year. And, and it has me actually thinking back to, like, beliefs that I had when I was younger, how I thought the world worked, things, 
things that I counted on, things that I had hope in, things that, like, for the things that I really needed to happen in my life, what it is that I was, like, hoping in, like, the things I prayed to, all, all, all that kind of stuff, and how I thought the world works and how different I see the world working now. And what's interesting about this is we, we see it as a sign of maturity in our lives uh, to understand that the world doesn't work the way we think it does when we're younger. And we see it as growth when we're able to let go of the things we believed before and grab on to new things. Really, kind of a marker we could have is like when we have less of the mystical in our lives and we hold on to more of the tangible, we believe, we know we've reached a level, a new level of maturity. Uh, it's easy to look at ourselves, it's easy to look at our kids this way and, and kind of see ourselves through this lens that somehow we're more mature when we believe less of the mystical stuff and we're holding out hope in that and counting on it. But it's also easy for us to do this with people who have lived before us. Uh, people who lived in times and, and, and places that believe different things than we do. And it's really easy, if we're not careful, to see ourselves as more mature, more enlightened than they were. Uh, take, for instance, the group of people that Paul was writing to, the Colossians. Uh, it is easy for us to look at the way they view the world and see it as less enlightened, more immature than maybe the way we see and understand how the world works. Take, for instance, just we're, we're going to look at this whole passage, but let's just look at the first two verses, for instance. He, uh, here, writing to them, to the Colossians, uh, Paul takes the time to just give them this big idea of who Jesus is and what he's done. And he says in these first two verses, verses 15 and 16 of chapter 1, he says, Jesus is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him all things were created, in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible. Whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. Okay, we're... we're we're going to talk about this entire passage and what it means for Jesus and what Paul is saying Jesus has done. But what I want to grab onto right now is the phrase where he says, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. Uh, some of your translations will say, particularly the NIV, uh, it throws in a word there where it says the powers, right? Uh, so Paul says, whether, whether it be the powers of this world, whatever it is that you talk about, everything, that you see, visible and invisible, everything that there is, it's all created by Jesus and for Jesus. And, and the question for us is, well, what in the world does he mean by powers, right? Because that's not, like, that's not a phrase that you hear thrown around in like normal everyday conversation nowadays, right? You ask somebody how their day going, they're like, ah, oh, the powers of this world, man. And you're like, I know what you're saying. Like, no, nobody talks like that anymore, right? So what, what is it that, you know, Paul is referring to, that the Colossians here, hearing this, reading this, they would say, oh, yeah, we know exactly what it is you're talking about. There's this uh, historian, Robin, Robin Lane Fox. I want to call him Robert, but it's Robin. Uh, talking about this, this very idea of these powers, these earthly powers, uh, he says that when things went wrong, people didn't blame each other. And to quote him exactly, he says, They named supernatural culprits and traced their actions to enmities in heaven. You see, people, the Colossians and the people that lived during their time, they understood that there were things outside of their control, that there were things going on in the world that they couldn't explain that, that no matter how hard they tried to control them, they couldn't. And so 
seeing this, they were trying to understand and then describe the reality that they were seeing. And so what they started doing was, and seeing some of these things go on and some of these massive powers at play in the world around them, they started giving them names, and they gave them names like Apollo, Zeus, and Artemis. These powers that they saw at play in the world became their gods. That's where Greek mythology rose out of. And Lane Fox goes on to say later in his book, Pagans and Christians, he says, the gods for them were present and manifest in their world. And they attested to that, and they attributed things to them. So hearing that, it is really easy for us to look at the Colossians, the, the people of their day, and look at them the way we would look at our kids or our younger version of ourselves, right? That, like, oh, that's, that's a cute idea that they would think that. I remember in my freshman year of high school, in our English class, we, we read a lot of Greek mythology, and I thought it was awesome. I also thought, who in the world ever believed this is the way the world worked, right? That we think, we can think, and we often do, that we are beyond this type of thinking. But when we do that, we only fool ourselves. We only fool ourselves because we still think this way. What's more is we undercut the power of what Paul is saying here in Colossians chapter 1. But let me prove to you that we still think this way, that there are these powers at play in our world. Let me ask you a question. Who runs the world? If I was to ask you that just every day, like, who runs the world? Who's in power? Politicians? Would you say that, right? Like, they, they get stuff done. They, they're the ones that charge you with answers. Well, we all know that's not true, right? And yet, how often do we act like politicians are the ones? Better yet, how much do politicians like to act like they're the ones who run the world, right? Like, politicians always say, come to me, I've got the answers, all that stuff. Except for what? When things go bad, right? When we have economic troubles, do politicians stay up, stand up and say, yep, we did that, we're at fault? No, what is it? Usually, we're told it's economic forces beyond our control, right? Powers at play in this world. Things that we see happening, we don't really know what they are, what they attribute them to, and yet we see the reality, we see the results of them around us. Why is it? That we can't seem to solve major problems that we devote a lot of time, energy, and money to. Things like starvation, genocide. Could it be that there are powers at play in our world that are causing these things that, as much as we might try, we as humans have no control over? As much as we might like to think we are beyond the Colossians and the world they lived in, attributing things that have happened to these powers at play in our world and calling them Apollo, Zeus, Artemis. We still do this today. We just call them things like luck and karma. We can't see them. Every time that we think we get close and we're going to get an idea of what it looks like or who's behind it, it seems to disappear. It seems to just be out of our reach. But we can see these things at work in our world, can't we? We know that there is a reality, that there are powers at play in this world. And what's more is these things seem to be in conflict. They seem to be in conflict with each other. They seem to be in conflict with us. And what's more and what's most important is they seem to be in conflict with God. And we know that as much as we try to order our lives in a way that protects us against these things, just like the Colossians understood themselves back then, that if these things decide to, they can take us out and there's not much we can do about it. And so because of that, they seem to keep us 
stuck in the same place. That we can't get seemingly any further in the areas of our life that we want to advance in. We're, we're talking this morning about peace, so let's just take peace for example, okay? Let's talk about that the rest of the morning. So peace. I think it's something we all want, right? Like, is there anybody that's like willing to like raise their hand and be like, yeah, peace, I'm not big on that. That's okay. I don't want that in my life. Uh, no, okay, right? Everybody wants peace. And what's more is because we want it and we want it so badly, we work really hard as people to get more peace, as much of it as we can in our life. And yet a reality that we run into time and time again is no matter how hard we try to get more peace and all that we do and put into it, it doesn't feel like we're ever really able to gain more than we already have, does it? It just seems like we're shifting chairs on a sinking ship so often. Take, for instance, holiday shopping. I cannot think of anything less peaceful than holiday shopping, can you? Like, hol- like, I get that there are people that like to go out shopping, and they like to go holiday shopping. But even for those of you that, I don't know why, you enjoy it, you find it exhilarating, fun, whatever it is, I doubt anybody would describe holiday shopping as peaceful, right? And what's the reason it's not peaceful? It's the crowds. Like, the reason we don't have peace, let's just call it what it is, is other people. I mean, if we could just get rid of other people, we would have so much more peace in our life, right? But, it, it, but so holiday shopping, it, it, it's this big thing. It's not peaceful. It, okay, I'll just say, if you guys are ever having a slow day and you want to kill some time, just Google defeated men shopping. And it will pass so many hours by because it is an awesome image, image search. Take this guy for example. Look at this guy. That is a picture that in any other circumstance you'd be like, oh yeah, that, that's pretty tranquil. That's pretty peaceful, right? And yet we all know that peace is the last thing going on in this guy's life right now. And how do we know that? Uh, I mean, he's sitting in a chair. He looks pretty comfortable. I, and, and it's not even the fact that like, we ha- he has this like polka dotted roller cart that, cart that you know is not his. It's not the fact that he has this look on his face of like, how did my life get here? Like, what decisions did I make, right? The reason we know the furthest thing from the situation, that peace is the furthest thing from the situation, is the fact that his wife's coat is draped across his lap while he is still wearing his own coat. This guy walked into the store with the idea of, we might not actually be here that long. And then his wife took her coat off. (laughs) And guys, we all know, when your wife walks into a store and the coat comes off, you're going to be there a while. And he has hunkered down, and he is just like, I might die here. Like, this this is it, right? So... We know that with holiday shopping, it's not the most peaceful thing. That hits a, close, a little close to home for some of you. That was like yesterday for some of you guys, I guess. Um, so what happens? It used to be the only way that you could go holiday shopping was you had to brave the crowds, right? And then the greatest invention ever, Amazon, happened, right? Online shopping. And online shopping would answer all of our problems. It would usher in an era of peaceful, blissful shopping where you you don't have to encounter anybody while you're buying stuff. You don't even have to wear pants if you don't want to, right? It should fix all of our problems. And yet, what have we found with online shopping? We have simply traded one set of anxieties for another. We no longer deal with the crowds, but what do we deal with now? Shipment tracking. 
We sit there and we watch. I guarantee you, somebody in here checked, checked the tracking shipment progress of something this morning. Go ahead, raise your hand. Who did it? Yeah, yeah, okay. Oh, yeah, yeah. We got a few. Okay, right? Now, now the question isn't like, do I brave the crowds? It's will the thing get here on time? Will it be broken? Will it get stolen off my porch? Will it even be the thing that I ordered, right? It seems like the harder we try to insert more peace into our lives, even in the simple, ridiculous area of holiday shopping, the more we stay in the same place. It works just like quicksand, right? The harder you try, the more you sink. There's powers at play in our world, and there's only so far we can go. And, and this example of holiday shopping is just a ridiculous one to show you how, hey, in our life, no matter how hard we try to get something as simple as peace, how much more we want of it, there, it feels like, and it seems as though, there's only so much of it we can gain for ourselves. That there is a ceiling. And no matter what we do, no matter how hard we work at the innovations we come up with, all we're simply dr- doing is trading one set of anxieties in our life for another. This is exactly why Paul was writing to the Colossian church. They felt stuck. We, we actually see Paul's reason for writing. He bookends uh, this passage that we're looking at with his, with his whole thought process of why he's writing to them. He says in verse 13, he talks about how the group that he's writing to, the, they've been a part of what he calls the domain of darkness. He says in verse 21, he talks about doing evil deeds and, and being actually an animosity, animosity with God. It, it has these echoes of, a, of what Paul talks about in Romans. Uh, of wanting to do the right thing and yet not being able to. That there, there being these powers of play that we can see these things at work in our world. That they go by names like politics and economics. We, we know them by calling them greed and envy, selfishness and lust. And, and we see them all around us. And they're, they're at war with one another. They're at war with God. And, and we see them in our world. But what's more important is we see them in our own life, don't we? There are these things that we would rather not do, but yet we find ourselves constantly pulled back to them. We find ourselves in conflict with ourselves. What's more is we feel powerless against them. We know that when push, when push comes to shove, we can't resist them. And the scary thing about it is we know that when they decide to, they will run us over and there's nothing we can do about it. If this is where you feel like things are at for you, that you are torn in your life, there is conflict, then don't worry. It was that way too for the Colossians, and it's exactly why Paul was writing this. The very fact that we can identify and say that there are powers at play in this world that we don't quite understand, that there are things that are bigger than us that we don't have control over as much as we would like to and try to, that there's only so much of some of these essential things like peace that we can get for ourselves. And once we get there, it just feels like we're rearranging stuff and we're kidding ourselves if we think we can incorporate more of it into our life. You're in a good place because that's exactly where the Colossian church was at. And it's exactly why Paul was writing to them. And so that's why he talks about what Jesus has done. 
He says in verses 15 through 20 there in chapter 1, he says, Jesus is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible. Whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things, and in him all things hold together, and he is the head, the body, the head of the body, the church. He's the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. Paul says, we're not good at peace. And we're not good at peace because there's two essential aspects that lasting peace needs. And it's things that we can't do. It's stuff that we can't bring to the table. And as much and as hard as we try, we only stay in the same place. We need someone else. And the good news Paul says, is God has done this for us. He has brought this to us. It's what Isaiah's message was all about. Isaiah tells the Israelites over and over again, this peace that you seek, what you want, you've tried hard again and again in different ways to bring this and do this for yourself. And guess what? You're not good at it, and the harder you try at it, the worse things get. So guess what? God is bringing the peace to you. And Paul says that has exactly happened in Jesus Christ. He does two things for us that peace needs that we can't do ourselves. The first that Paul says is peace needs unity. If you read this passage again, 95% of it is all about unity and how everything is united in Jesus. But this is why peace is so difficult, isn't it? Because it requires unity. And the problem with unity is that anytime there are two or more people, unity is compromised, right? Anytime you get two people in a room together, it's not going to be very long until you guys have a difference of opinion. Am I right? Who's been here married more than two minutes? You know this is true, right? Like, it doesn't matter how much you love the other person, there is going to be a difference of opinion. Unity breaks down when there is a multiplicity. And so the only way that we can have lasting unity is for it all to go back to the source. And this is why it's so important why Paul says all things were made in Christ, through Christ, and for Christ. All things are unified in Jesus in a way you and I cannot do in our own life. Every time we take one step forward in unifying one aspect of our life, we take a step back in another. Why? Because we are just simply juggling plates. And the moment we take our eye off of one, another starts to wobble. Paul says that everything we see, both good and bad, was created. And it was created with the intention of being ordered, not random. Unified, not chaotic. It was created to be used. To be used by God for his glory, for his purposes. So, 
The good news is, is that if it was created, and it was created with this purpose, it was created for this intention, it can happen this way again, but it can only happen, Paul says, through Jesus. He brings a unity that you and I cannot bring about in our life. We have these things that um, we've been given to, to be used by us for God's glory. And yet the thing is, is, is when we get them, we're kind of like, oh man, like, isn't this awesome? This, this is so cool, but like, wouldn't it be great if we used it over here in this way? And what happens is we start to wield these things around like, like a child who picks up a toy that's too big for themselves, right? The toy was made for them, but it wasn't made for them right now to be used that way. Have you ever seen a kid like pick up like a sword that's too big for them and start to like try to swing it around, right? Like, they get off balance, and they get all over the place, and before long, the sword is controlling the kid rather than the kid the sword, right? I have no experience with this whatsoever. Um, this is what we are like. But in Jesus, he has the ability to bring the very things that end up controlling us, the things that we think we can use in our own way, things like sexuality, money, ambition, power. He brings all of these things into order, united together for the purposes that he created them. I don't know if, uh, has anybody ever seen uh, the Mississippi River? Been able to see that? The cool thing about the Mississippi River is a very different river depending on where you're at in the U.S., when you're down like in Mississippi or Louisiana, kind of towards the end of the river, um, that thing is so big. Like you stand beside it and just watching the current go, you feel the force. You understand why they call it the mighty Mississippi. There's so much force behind it. And what's more is it seems somewhat unruly, chaotic, turbulent. Like you, you look at the banks down there and how low they are and how big this river is. And you just know that at any moment, this thing can flood everything around it. And there's no levee, there's no dam, there's nothing people can do. They just have to deal with it. It is this force, this power that people have no control over. It's a very different experience than if you're standing near the headwaters of the Mississippi River up in Minnesota. When, when you're up there and, and you're standing on the banks of, of that river, it's like any other river. It's just, it's nice, it's calm, it's tranquil. It, it seems pretty peaceful. Why is that? It's because the closer you get to the source, the more united and peaceful things tend to get. The further away you get from the source, the more opportunity other things have to come in that influence the original intention. So the Mississippi, by the time you get down towards the bottom of the U.S., you've had other rivers flowing it, influencing it, building it, turning it into something it wasn't at the beginning. And our lives are exactly the same way. The closer we are to the source, to Jesus Christ, the more peace we find because the more we find that everything in our life is united by Jesus in a way that we cannot do otherwise on our own. The further we get away from him, the more we allow other things to influence us and push us in a direction in a way that was not intended in our lives become turbulent, chaotic, and disjointed. Peace, everlasting peace in our life needs unity, and 
only Jesus can bring the type of unity we require. The other thing that Paul focuses on and keys on is that peace needs sacrifice. He says in verse 20, he says, and through, Jesus, to rec- and through Jesus, to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, made peace by the blood of his cross. Peace needs sacrifice. Peace needs sacrifice because one little thing that we don't quite often understand about peace is peace is peculiar and that it will be undone by the very way it was established. In the time that Paul was writing, uh, they were in the Roman Empire, and there was this model, this uh, motto, this uh, slogan of the Roman Empire. It was Pax Romana, and the, the translation is the Peace of Rome. And, and everywhere that Rome went, they talked about the Pax Romana, that they were bringing the peace of Rome. And, and it was true that Rome had this uncanny ability that the places that they overtook, they were able to establish governments and, and ruling authorities that, that kept the peace pretty well. You would, you would think that uh, for an empire that was made up of so many different conquered people, they, they would have a lot more inner turbulence. And yet it wasn't the case with Rome. That actually brought a level of peace that a lot of places hadn't known. It brought a level of enlightenment and sophistication uh, that they definitely didn't know before. And, and so actually, like, Rome saw the conquest that they had as this, like, liberation uh, of people, bringing in this peace uh, that they couldn't have hoped for otherwise. The only problem was it was peace that was established by force. And if you know about the history of Rome, you know that eventually they were overthrown by force. When peace in your life is established, it is brought about by force, there will always be a bigger force that will eventually overthrow you and undo the peace that you have sought so hard to gain. When peace is established by manipulation, there will always be something that can manipulate you out of that peace. That's why peace needs sacrifice. Because the peace that Jesus offers you and me has been established by him giving his life on our behalf. God has given everything so that you and I can be reestablished back into a relationship with him, that we can have peace with him. There is no one that is able to sacrifice more than God has for you. What's more is there's no one that wants to sacrifice more than what he has given for you. And what that means, what Paul is talking about here is that the peace God is offering in your life is a peace that cannot be undone by anyone or anything or any power that says you have to play by its rules. It is a peace that is everlasting because there is no greater sacrifice that will ever be given or can be given on your behalf. But it's not just 
him coming and, and, and giving up his heavenly throne and becoming a baby. It's, it's not just the fact that Jesus sacrificed, but by going to the cross and dying. It, it's, a, it's even in the sacrifice of his life. And how he played the game, we can call it that, he lived his life not according to what the powers say you have to do. The powers of this world say you should live for money, but what did Jesus say? He said you can't serve both God and mammon. The powers of this world said that if liberation is to come, particularly if liberation was going to come for Israel, it would come by the sword. Jesus said if you take the sword, you perish by the sword. The powers of this world at the time that Paul was writing said that Caesar rules the world. Jesus came proclaiming the kingdom of God. What we celebrate this week is that God came not just in the form of a baby, but he also lived his life as a sacrifice against the powers of this world that say you have to do it a certain way. And then he let them do the worst thing to him. He let them kill him. The very thing that you and I are most afraid of. So that he could be resurrected and show that the power they claim over you is not really power at all. They have nothing to hold against you. The peace that Jesus offers you is a peace that cannot be undone or taken away. Because it is established in a sacrifice that no one is able to give or willing to. What Paul is talking to us about, and the reason we're talking about this this morning, is that the fulfillment that Jesus has brought, it comes with God's peace that is offered to us. And it's a peace that is very different than I think what we imagine when we think about peace at this time of year. We, we, we have certain ideas, certain pictures in our minds. If, if someone were to say, draw me a picture of peace, of, of what we would be. We, we, we have things, uh, it tends to be very visual for us, I, I think. Uh, a couple years ago, Hannah, um, my wife, uh, Christmas decorating is very cathartic for her. And um, I, I think I may have shared this before, but the first year we were married, I had to, um, I had to plead with her not to put our Christmas tree up before Halloween. And, and, then, and then when she put it up the day after Halloween. I told her she could only do it if she kept the blinds closed until Thanksgiving. Um, but, uh, and, and so it, it has a lot of meaning for her, decorating for Christmas. It, it brings a certain tranquility, a, a peace. And uh, it was a couple years ago, we were in the midst of, you know, kids running around, and she was like, I just feel like I need peace in my life. I, I need things to be calm. I need them to be serene. And, and so what she did was, uh, what that meant for her at Christmas time was redecorating our Christmas tree completely. Um, I didn't look at how much it cost. I was like, you know, you do what you got to do, I guess. Um, and so, uh, and, and, and so she, she did this, and, and she did it in, um, our, our tree is like all white and like gray. It, it's, it's very calm, very peaceful. It, it's really nice looking. I'm, I'm, I'm glad she did it. It looks better than it did before. Don't tell her that. What she did before was good too. Let's just go with that, okay? Um, but, um, she had this idea, like this picture, like if I can get my tree, if I can have my decorations like this way, this will bring peace. This will convey 
peace to me. I think a lot of times when, when we talk about peace and, and I say, you know, God offers you peace. At this time of year, we, we have pictures of like being able to sit like on Christmas morning with the snow falling, drinking a cup of coffee. That's peace to us, right? Like when I say God is offering you his peace, you can have peace this Christmas season. You're like, does that actually mean that we can like get together with the family and we avoid politics, you know, for, you know, over dinner and that sort of thing? Like that's what we hold out for in peace. Like we want, that's what peace means to us. And what Paul is saying, what this is all about is that you and I are living in a world where there are powers at play that are telling us that we have to do things a certain way, and they are obviously against God's way. They are obviously against the desire that we have to live as God wants us to live. And we, but we feel this pull, and Paul says what Jesus has done is he has brought a peace that is better and then just simply having a tree that conveys tranquility to you. He has brought peace. And what that means is you can finally decide to follow him completely. We no longer have to be torn between the powers of this world and him. We no longer have to be conflicted. Living with that anxiety all the time. Will I give in to this thing or won't I? Because of the birth and the life and the death and ultimately the resurrection of Jesus, nothing else has a claim on you. You can actually have inner peace, an inner peace that for so many of us that have struggled with the powers of this world and the claims that they say they have on us, an inner peace that we have come to think is impossible. That we can actually be going in one direction and not pulled simultaneously in another. A, a, a peace we have so long desired inside of us, but given up on because it never seemed we could actually get anywhere. We always ended up back in that same spot. Like holiday shopping. No matter what we did, we were just trading one set of anxieties for another. I love what he says in his book, Following Jesus. N.T. Wright says this, says, the powers of lust that tell you you can't resist them, the powers of fear, suspicion, greed that tell you you must get angry and use violence, these powers were defeated on the cross. They have no rights over you. The battle has been won. This is the kind of peace that Jesus offers. That you can actually be the person you pray you are. That you can actually be the person people say you are, and even though, as they say it, you doubt because you know your own desires, Jesus says that in me, everything that you are, all that you see and don't see, can be united. It can be united in me and through me and for me. And it can't be undone because it has been established by a sacrifice that no one else can give greater than and no one else is willing to. If, if you don't know this currently, if you look at your life and you say, I, I do feel conflicted. I feel torn. I, I, I feel as though I'm a fake. I look at myself 
I know what I say, I, I know what I believe, and yet I also know what I do. If you feel torn between God and anything else, then you are not living in the full reality of the coming of Jesus. You may know the peace of your circumstances, but you do not know the peace that the fulfillment of Jesus' coming brings. You don't know the freedom that he has won you. But the peace he is offering to you and me, the peace that his kingdom brings, is not one in which we get to sit beside a fireplace with a scenic backdrop backdrop while we drink our drink of choice. It's not that picturesque view. It is something deeper. It is something better. It is a peace that you and I cannot attain for ourselves. It is a peace that we have tried to come to, that we have tried to use the things of this world, and they have backfired, and they have controlled us. Like kids swinging a sword way too big for themselves, we started out fine, but before we knew it, we were overcome and overwhelmed. The peace of God that Christmas brings is a peace that we will not find under our own power. It's a peace that has been given to us. What's more is the, the only thing you have to do, the only requirement is to decide. It's to simply say, that is what I want more than anything else. To decide to cut loose the things that you've been trying to use to give yourself more tranquility, more peace in your life, and say, I realize now that it hasn't been united in Jesus. It hasn't been tied to him and being used for him and through him. We just simply have to decide and say, I want that. I want Jesus more than anything else. And when we do that, when we say that, he answers that and brings something that we have desired for so long and yet come to think might be impossible in our life. And one of the miracles of Christmas is we find it isn't. It's found in the very one we've been looking to the whole time. 